It seems today there are lots of imposter Jesuses out there. If you're looking at your outline and we're trying to guess what's in that first blank, I can almost bet that the word you had in mind wasn't imposter. But there are a lot of imposter Jesuses out there. This morning begins a sermon series over the next month or so that talk about those imposter Jesuses, those who are fake, and contrasting them with the real Jesus, the Jesus that is real. And so I want you to be thinking as we go through the lesson today and possibly sharing with me a little bit uh, sometime throughout the next week or two about what you think would be some of those imposter Jesuses. If you're going to take a look around at our culture, at our community, at our world today, and make a list of some imposter Jesuses that are taking the place in the lives of some of the real Jesus, who would be on that list? What would be the imposter Jesuses that you would know of, that you would think of? And of course, you can call them whatever you like and name them however you want. But over the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at some of these imposter Jesuses and contrasting them with the real Jesus. On your sermon outline at the bottom in our bulletin, you'll see reference to a couple of resources that I'll be using uh, throughout this study. And you can uh, take a look at that and peruse those or ask me some questions, send me some questions, and uh, I'd love to have some conversation over the next several weeks as we go through this, this study. It seems today there are several lots, really, of imposter Jesuses out there. And so how do we find the real Jesus? How do we find out about the real Jesus? Well, we go to the Bible to find out about the real Jesus. Romans 10 verse 17 tells us that faith comes by hearing the message about Christ. More familiar translation, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. How do we know how to recognize the imposter Jesuses that are out there? How do we know what the real Jesus actually looks like? How do we know what the real Jesus would say? How do we know what the real Jesus would have us do? Well, we turn to the Bible to find that out. And so as we begin this series, I want us to take a look at the real Jesus today and say a couple of things about him that will help set the groundwork and the foundation for the lessons that are to come on imposter Jesus's versus the real Jesus. And so I want us to uh, begin today by looking at the imposter Jesus's and what they say about Scripture. What do imposter Jesus's say about the Bible? You say, well, Bill, why is that important? Well, obviously it's important because, as we'll talk later, Jesus saw the Scripture as being the inspired Word of God. We do too. But what about the rest of our culture? What about the people around us? 
You know, as we're looking at uh, society and as we're trying to gauge uh, what people think about Scripture, what people think about Christians, what people think about uh, uh, the church, we tend to take a few of those that have zero respect for any of the above and lump them into the majority category. And what research has told us over the years and still tells us today that at least in this country, that's not true. It's just not true. Even today, when we feel like the Bible and Christian values are so much under attack, we sometimes lull ourselves into thinking nobody really believes the Bible anymore, nobody really goes to church anymore, and on and on it goes. And what research tells us is that's just not true. It's just not true. Barna Research and the American Bible Study, uh, Bible Society combined over the last year or so to do some very serious uh, research. And they did this with uh, adults ages 18 and up a year ago, January, in January of 2021. So a very recent study. And they studied over 3,300 adults, and they also included some of those young adults who were in the Gen Z generation, but also even younger, like seven and older, uh, that they also included for some of the responses. And the, uh, the results of that are, are, are very interesting, and I'll just share a few with you right now. Those, one of the questions they were asked is, if if there was no Bible, would our country be better off or worse off or about the same without the Bible? And again, if you're looking at uh, television, social media, uh, movies, uh, hearing popular music, a lot of other things like that, you would think, well, uh, apparently the majority of people in this country think we'd be better off without the Bible. But that's not true. 54% say that without the Bible, we would be worse off. And you think, well, that number continues to go down. Actually, that's not true. In 2020, it was 49%. 49% said that uh, without the Bible, we would be worse off. 54% now say uh, that we would be worse off without the Bible. So a greater number think that the Bible helps. Uh, 33% say it, it would be about the same if there were no Bible. So when you put those two together, let me do the math, carry the one, seven, 87% say that we would either be about the same or worse off if there were no Bible. I think that's a pretty positive score. When asked the question, do you believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God? And they could respond in several ways. Do you believe that the Bible is inspired and inerrant? In other words, no errors whatsoever and must be taken literally in every case. Or that it is inspired and has no errors, but sometimes it is, needs to be taken symbolically. And I think that's probably true. Or I, that's how I believe anyway. There are others who say, well, it is, it is inspired, but it has errors in it. I would not go there. And then, of course, others who say it's not inspired at all. And when you consider that, 70% say that the Bible is the inspired Word of God in one of those categories. And that is amazing. 55% in our country of general adult population say that the Bible is the inspired Word of God and it doesn't have errors. 
things aren't quite as bad as you might have thought, right? When asked the question, do you read the Bible? 34% said they read the Bible at least once a week or more. Of course, we wish that number was much higher. But again, we're not talking about in the church. We're talking about in the general U.S. adult population. 34% read the Bible at least once a week or more. 42% read the Bible at least once a month or more. And then 16% read the Bible most days during the week. So you have 16% of our population who read the Bible almost every day. And 34% of our genuine population who reads it at least once a week. I think that's encouraging. It's more encouraging than what we might think. And again, those numbers seem to be, have increased over the last year. Well, so, so what does that mean, Bill? What's, what's the point of all of that? Well, the point is to remind us that it's not just uh, us and our immediate circle who value the Word of God, who value Scripture, who want to find the real Jesus. But a lot of our fellow students, friends at school, a lot of our co-workers, a lot of our neighbors, they believe the same thing. And I think it's important for us to ask those questions and to be that resource for them. And so what, as, as we're thinking about that, we realize that the real Jesus goes up against imposter Jesuses. And that the uh, Bible, the scripture, the word of God that describes the real Jesus and has his teaching in it, it also goes up against imposter Jesuses and what they say about the Bible. So just three examples of imposter Jesuses and what they say about the Bible. The first one is red letter Jesus. <laughs> red letter Jesus. And you know what that one is, right? A lot of Bibles, including mine, I, I appreciate the red letter editions of the Bible. A lot of uh, people might say, well, really the only scripture that you need to be concerned about <clears throat> is the scripture that's written in red. It's the red letter because really that's where you find the words of Jesus. Well, granted, that's where you find the words of Jesus, but it's also the, being written by individuals who were inspired by God who are recording what Jesus said. So yes, it's the words of Jesus, but it's the words of Jesus as Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Paul in a couple of instances, uh, quoted Jesus as saying and shared his teaching. And so my thinking is, yes, the red le- I like the red letter edition, like I said, because it helps me be able to find those words of Jesus and those quotes from Jesus very easily. Some of you may remember uh, a, a tool, a Bible study tool from years ago called Sharpening the Sword that had this whole color coordination thing about how to highlight different things. If it was the words of Jesus, if it was a direct command, if it was related to a certain subject, then you had a certain color. And that's what I love and appreciate about the red letter Bible. But all of it is inspired. Well, secondly, what do imposter Jesuses say about the Bible? Well, there's no Bible Jesus. This is the Jesus who says, well, you don't really have to worry about the Bible, just love me. 
Just trust me. And there are people in our country and around in our communities today who would say, really, you don't need to read the Bible. You don't need to study the Bible. All you need to do is trust Jesus. Love Jesus. Love your neighbor. Love yourself. And, and you'll be good. Well, is that what Jesus would say? Is that what we would believe? Well, of course, we believe that, that the Bible is important and that Scripture should be considered And as we'll see today, Jesus was not a no-Bible Jesus. Even the Son of God acknowledged the teaching of Scripture. And then the third example of a response to the question, what do imposter Jesuses say about the Bible? This third one is perhaps the most important for us today in this audience because it is no application Jesus. And this would be the Jesus who says, you know, it's important for you to know everything that's in here, but whether you do it or not, well, that's a whole nother thing. Whether you apply it to your own life or not, well, that's something else entirely. Whether you make it relevant and applicable to our current cultural situation, really that's not important. What's important is that you know the facts. And I'm one of those who believes that we need to know the facts as best we can. But if we stop there, we are not being biblical. We're not being biblical. Because Jesus himself calls us to hear the message and do what it says. Apply the message to our lives. Make it relevant for ourselves and for our families and for our fellow church members and for our neighbors. To try to help them see that the real Jesus calls us to study and learn and know the Scripture, but as a part of that, it's applying it to our lives and actually living it out. Well, that's enough about the imposter Jesuses for this morning. What about the real Jesus? What does the real Jesus say about the Bible? And in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the real Jesus has a lot to say about Scripture interestingly enough. First of all, the real Jesus says all Scripture is inspired and authoritative. Jesus affirmed that. Not just Paul in 2 Timothy 3 or Peter in 2 Peter 1, but Jesus himself affirmed that all Scripture is inspired and authoritative. There are somewhere, depending on who you ask, around 300 express references to the Old Testament in the New Testament. 300. Many more indirect references, without a direct quote being acknowledged, and allusions to Old Testament scriptures, and a large number of those are from Jesus, as recorded in the Gospels. If you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John with an eye towards, okay, I want to pick out the places where Jesus talks about the Old Testament, the law, or the prophets, the Psalms, you would find a lot. A lot. There are a lot of scriptures on your outline today. I just want to highlight a few. First of all, in Matthew 22. This is one of those places in Matthew 22 when Jesus gets hit with a ridiculous question from a sect of the Jews, the Sadducees, not because they're interested in what he has to say. They just want to trap him. And you think that gotcha questions started with today's media? Oh, no, 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 no. Now, today's media is really good at gotcha questions, that's for sure. But that's what they did with Jesus. And this particular gotcha question was this. It had to do with 
uh, marriage and divorce and remarriage, and it had to do specifically with what the Old Testament calls and what the culture of the day called the law of leveret marriage, which said if a man marries a woman and he dies before he has children, then the next brother is to marry that woman so that his brother's name can continue in the community. Well, so the Sadducees, they come up and they say, okay, well, what about this? What about this question? A woman marries a man, he dies, and so she marries his brother, and then his brother dies, and on and on and on it goes. And so their question is, well, finally the woman dies, and in, in heaven, if there is a resurrection, you see the Sadducees, they didn't believe in the resurrection. The Pharisees did, but not the Sadducees. So they're asking Jesus this gotcha question to trap him into figuring out that there can't be a resurrection because this situation would deny it. And they ask this question, well, in heaven, whose wife would she be? She was married to all seven. And as I have said before, I'm thinking that if I was brother number five or six or seven, I would be somewhere in Australia. And so Jesus looks at them, and this is what he says in Matthew 22, beginning in verse 29. Jesus replied, verse 29, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. Now, these people knew all about the scriptures. They could quote you book, chapter, and verse. But Jesus said, you're in error because you do not know your Bible. You might can quote it, but you don't know it. And you don't know the power of God. And he goes on in verse 30. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They'll be like the angels in heaven. And so he answers their gotcha question, but he's not done. Verse 31. But about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And so not only does Jesus quote from the Old Testament to answer their question, he emphasizes the tense of the statement, of the verb. I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Not I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when they were alive. But I am. Jesus had such a high view of Scripture that he even quotes that to prove his point. It's an amazing statement. He quotes from Hosea chapter 6 and other places, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. In Luke chapter 4, when Jesus is confronted with uh, temptations from Satan, he answers each one with, it is written, Scripture Later on, when he preaches his first recorded sermon at his hometown of Nazareth in Luke 4, Jesus talks about how he, would, how he is living, helping the poor, uh, fulfilling, uh, giving sight to the blind. And it's a direct quote of Isaiah 61. And as he hands them back the scroll of Isaiah and sits down, he says, this very day, this scripture is fulfilled. Right in front of your eyes. Later on in the book of Luke, in Luke 16, as Jesus tells the story of the the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, the rich man in torment wanting to send Lazarus to his home so that his five brothers would not come where he is. And yet Jesus in the parable has Father Abraham saying, no, they have Moses and the prophet. They have their Bible. 
Let them listen to that. And the man says, no, no, no. If they could just see something spectacular, they could just see something fantastic, something different, something original. If someone could rise from the dead and stand before them, they would listen then and they would respond. And in the parable, Jesus has Abraham say, no, no. If they won't listen to their Bible and do what it says, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't listen even if someone rises from the dead. And we know that that's true because we know that Jesus rose from the dead and we know that people were aware of that in the first century and yet they still would not respond. What are you waiting for to believe in Jesus? And so a couple of statements from Daniel Darling in the book, The Original Jesus. First, this one. Jesus didn't argue against Scripture. He argued from Scripture. He used Scripture to prove that he was the Son of God, that he was the Messiah, that people needed to listen to him. And that's so significant and so important. And I think of Wayne's wonderful communion meditation and taking us back to those words of the wonderful, faithful Apostle, missionary, writer of Scripture, Paul himself, acknowledging, I'm a sinner. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, those are the things I find myself doing. What a wretched man I am. Well, we're right there with Paul, just as Wayne said. Scripture helps us to see that. Jesus didn't argue against Scripture. He argued from Scripture, just as Paul did, just as we do today. And then this statement, all Scripture is written in red. (laughs) Ultimately, when you get down to it, it's all written in red. It's all the Word of God. It all comes from the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That's what the real Jesus says about the Bible. And then secondly, I believe the real Jesus says this, knowing the Bible is not enough. Do what it says. And that's clearly seen in many passages, but I'll just mention a few today. In Matthew 7, that familiar passage, Jesus says, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And he goes on and talks about that. In John 13, he washes their feet and he says, now that you know this is what you do, you should be blessed if you do it. You must do this for each other, just as I have done for you. James, the half-brother of the Lord, in that familiar statement, says, faith without works, faith without deeds is dead. Don't just be a hearer of God's word. Do what it says. This quote from the original Jesus, I'll admit I want to accept the Jesus who conforms to my image, the Jesus whose statements fit nicely on coffee mugs and t-shirts. But this safe, sanitized Jesus looks nothing like the real one, the one who came not to give me what I want, but to rescue me from the kingdom of darkness. This Jesus, the real Jesus, is dangerous and unpredictable, calling me to lay aside my life and follow him regardless of what it costs. Jesus came not to conform to our desires, but to transform us into his image. That's the real Jesus. And so some of my upcoming imposter Jesuses are Dr. Phil Jesus. That'll be fun. How's that working out for you? BFF Jesus. Post-church Jesus. 
And again, you may have some others. I'd love to hear some of yours. So as we close today, four things under this topic. Here's what the real Jesus calls you to do with your Bible. And again, we'll see this played out in the weeks ahead, but here's what the real Jesus calls you to do with your Bible. Number one, read your Bible. Read your Bible. And if I were to ask who believes that the Bible is the inspired Word of God, I bet almost every single person would have their hand up in this congregation today. Those of you watching online, you would raise your hand in your living room or wherever you are. But then if I were to ask, how many of you read your Bible? Every day? Once a week? Once a month? If you don't read your Bible, you're going to have a hard time convincing me that you truly believe it is the inspired Word of God. Because my thinking is, if you believed this was the inspired word of the almighty creator, eternal judge, God in heaven, we would read it and we would heed it. What does the real Jesus call us to do with our Bible? Number one, read your Bible. Number two, apply your Bible. You say, Bill, that's hard. I know. (laughs) I know it's hard. Do it anyway. Do the best you can. Get help. Apply it to your life, to your situation. Number three, live your Bible. Read your Bible, apply your Bible, and then live it. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do it. How do you know if you're a disciple, a follower of the real Jesus? Are you living your Bible? (laughs) Are you doing what it says? And we have so many examples of that. The pictures that Tucker walked us through a few minutes ago. Of this wonderful date night. What a fabulous event. What a fabulous event. And I I love how he brought out that the the boy said one of the greatest things about it is that we actually had conversations. Who knew that you could talk to someone? Wow. (laughs) You don't have to text them. You don't have to email them. You don't have to TikTok them. Am I saying that right? Probably not. A real good sign that the kids have moved on to what to a, a new technology is if I'm doing that technology. <laughs> They've moved on. Read your Bible, apply your Bible, live your Bible. We had a Valentine's dinner a week or so ago. It was wonderful. We have small groups today, many of which are, are meeting for lunch or are meeting for dinner tonight. That's living your Bible. Wade mentioned earlier our We Connected Young Adult group, and they are fabulous, and they are wonderful. And I saw a picture of their event last night, their date night event, and it was, it was amazing, that group, just amazing. And they're very committed to helping their children grow up knowing the Bible, knowing Jesus, the real Jesus. And we 100% support that. Read your Bible, apply your Bible, live your Bible, and lastly, share your Bible. Share it. I think if you're actually doing those first three, you're going to have opportunities to do number four as well, to actually share it. Sing them over again to me. Wonderful words of life, beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life.
I'm looking forward to discussing the real Jesus with you in the weeks ahead, and I ask for your prayers as we do so. If we can help you come to that real Jesus, come as we stand, sing our song together.